Hello and welcome to DemonCast Season 2, Episode 3. The case of the middle of Little Italy where we riddled a couple of middlemen who didn't do diddly. What? <laughs> the case of the middle of Little Italy, where we riddled a couple of middlemen who didn't do diddly. How long did it take you to come up with that? Not very long at all, as a matter of fact, because it's, it's actually a lyric from a big pun and Fat Joe song. Okay. Yeah. I'm Sarah. I'm Chris. And uh, welcome to... <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to, Demon... to the chaos. <laughs> that is Demoncast. Yeah, I'm, I'm stunned by that, that title, but I'm sure we'll get into it shortly of how that relates to the... Um, I might just totally forget to explain it. <laughs> there is a really convoluted explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That definitely matters. How are you? I'm all right, yeah. Um, still struggling with a bit of the malaise. Mm, the COVID-19 malaise. Yeah, I have kind of bursts of intense activity followed by bursts of lying on the sofa just not wanting to move ever again. So, does that? You? I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> really good at that Call of Duty now. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. please top, top 1% in the world. Well, just, you need just... to show that off to someone, because I've not given you enough credit for it, so... No. <laughs> um, and generally just despairing at the state of the human race. Yes. That's my other major hobby at the moment. And looking into building a bioactive terrarium so we can start keeping some reptile. Ooh. Yeah. I want a water cobra, but you don't. No, I've never kept reptiles before. I've been a, a fluffy animal keeper. I've been one of those too. Yeah. Um, but given the house we live in, we can't really have a, a fluffy. So we need we want to have a reptile we need a reptile we need a reptile and um, which i'm quite excited about because you know they're pretty cool and it's going to be something new and interesting but chris is like had them before so he's like let's get this sort of slightly more advanced snake or whatever else and i'm like can we just get a nice friendly little noodle i think a water cobra would be a friendly noodle Mhm. Mhm. yeah until it bites me but they're not deadly. Still don't want to get bitten by one, to be fair. No, okay. I mean, that is yeah. fair. But any snack can bite, just so Yeah, you know. that, I mean, that's fine. Hmm. But um, I'm sure you're not too interested in hearing us have our I'm domestic sure reptile argument. You forget most people are in lockdown. They, they're probably missing other people's trivial bullshit. <laughs> we can happily supply. Mm. <laughs> hours of that if you really want yeah just hours and hours of trivial bullshit trivial bullshit hour with sarah and chris <laughs> yeah i've totally forgotten what else has been going on really uh we watched lord of the rings yeah that's made me a little bit kind of obsessed maybe with reading up stuff and i've started listening to another podcast about lord of the rings they go very much in depth with it um i haven't actually read it in a while but they go through so much of it that it's almost as if you were reading it so i've been greatly enjoying that i thought you were going to say it's almost as if you were there like in the war of the ring and stuff i mean practically is almost in the shire you are quite short you'd fit in any excuse to get in a short joke. It's very mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. You called me... What did you call me just before we started recording? Unbearable? Abrasive. Abrasive, that was it. <laughs> so that's my revenge. It's true love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I was only singing Soundgarden. and I don't think that's that abrasive. No, no. But if you'd just been singing it, that wouldn't have been a problem. But it was that you sort of decided to sort of yell it at kind of quite high volume and pitch suddenly out of nowhere it's just in my nature Mm -hmm. this isn't a world for me clearly Mm -mm. it is a children's world though chapter three. Oh, what a segue (laughs) i'm so proud of myself i don't think we've ever managed to do that before like really that neatly segue in i don't i don't think we've ever managed to do it Full stop. I don't (laughs) think that really worked, but it was close enough, right? Mm -hmm. 
the title of this chapter immediately brings to mind the shop Children's World. I was literally just about to say that. Yeah. Possibly only something people in the UK will get. I'm not sure if they had Children's World in the US. I doubt it. Or anywhere else for that matter. I, I don't think it existed outside of where we live. I think it was specific oh to our city. I don't think it was like a franchise or a chain, but oh. it was an amazingly large children's toy shop, a la Toys R Us. But to get in... And this was amazing. You had to climb up this helter-skelter and slide down into the shop. Do you remember that? I say you had to. You didn't have to, but obviously you had to. I remember that slide. That was like the most exciting thing about mm -hmm. going in. That and... I mean, obviously there was toys, but I don't remember the toys being the most exciting part. It was the helter-skelter to get in and the fact that they had like a children's hairdresser's which my mum and dad never took me to, but I was always, like, really keen that I wanted to go to this children's hairdressers that they had there. I don't even remember the children's hairdressers. I think the Helter Skelter slide was the star of the show for me. Yeah, it was all, like, really... The, the hairdressers part was all, like, really brightly coloured and stuff, and obviously it was only for kids, mm. so everything was, like, kid-sized. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was incredible. So, yeah, there was that. Yeah. I always remember just... I mean, obviously, you're a kid and you want everything right, but mm -hmm. we couldn't really afford everything or much of anything in there because it was quite expensive, from mm -hmm. what I remember. It was probably more expensive than Toys R Us. I guess Helter Skelter maintenance was a factor in the uh, inflated costs. The other thing I always remember about it is that my friend's mum worked there. And we used to be so jealous of him because he had like all the cool toys. He had the micro machines mm -hmm. and he had like the Starcom and all these amazing like 80s kids toys and 90s kids toys. And then his mum got fired and it turned out she'd been stealing them all. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. This chapter makes me think of slides and shoplifting. Yes. Um, this chapter actually... I really felt like for me it was kind of getting into the story proper a bit more and I started to feel a bit more at home with it. Yes. Um, I think the other two have been a little bit slow and a little bit building up. Reintroductory. Yeah, whereas this one I started getting a bit of excitement again because things are starting to happen, they're going places and there's conversations that are quite interesting. So I was getting some of the more of the, the HDM feels going on. Yeah, same. I felt like even though this chapter was probably about as long as the first two, it flew by. Yeah. I didn't have any desperation for a break. Um, yeah. And I guess because the main introductions of all the stuff we already know are kind of done like the reintroductions yeah. and we're getting much more into the new story now mm. um something that did piss me off though about this chapter not specifically to do with the book was the audiobook version that i'm listening to it has really bad musical interludes <laughs> between each chapter and it, it kind of like those old 80s kids educational shows like through the dragon's eye i'll cut a bit of the music in Now you can see what I mean, it's abysmal. Uh, but that's not really Philip Pullman's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so we begin the chapter in one of Pullman's favourite ways to begin a chapter, which is with Lyra waking up. Yes. People falling asleep ends a chapter, people waking up begins a chapter. Mm -hmm. That is standard Pullman grammar. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lyra's been having a dream about the flask with Grumman's head in, mm -hmm. what Lord Azriel bought to Jordan right back at the beginning of the other book. Yeah, and she says, despite the fact that in real life she was quite excited to see it, in this um, dream she's quite scared. Yeah. And she wakes up actually crying and sweating. Mm -hmm. Although, interestingly, when she opens the flask in the dream, the head isn't in it. I wonder what that could mean. Oh, a bit of foreshadowing there. Do you think Lyra is a bit, like, I don't know, semi-clairvoyant thanks to using the alethiometer? Mm, potentially. Also, um, people who have dreams in books tend to have sort of slightly clairvoyant dreams, don't they? They always have, like, really Prophetic. meaningful dreams. Whereas I had a dream when I had a nap earlier that there were, like, giant maggoty things in lobster costumes. 
yeah. rolling around. Which really weirdly follows on from a dream that we both had. On the same night. On the same night that I had found the body of a dead spider in the bed. And when I threw it out, some worms got out of the spider and infected me. And I had this weird colony of worms living in my elbow. And you basically had the same dream. But it was a very similar dream whereby like, I found worms living in your arm. Yeah. Very strange. I, I, I wonder if there actually are just worms living in my elbow. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> people in books have quite prophetic dreams. They do. Hopefully we don't. I guess the thing is, you've kind of got to have a reason for your character to be dreaming if you're going to write it. Like, yeah. You wouldn't have a mundane, irrelevant dream. Yeah, you wouldn't. She's you actually <laughs> so disturbed about the dream that she actually asks the alethiometer, which is its quite, I say sassy self non-helpful self maybe is a better way of putting it oh, i won't it's have that you can't say the alethiometer is non-helpful it's just very matter of fact it was a dream about a head yeah which is exactly the truth it is but that implies that like it can't maybe it can't read into things maybe it can't infer what she wanted from it when she asked the question mm. i don't know yeah it kind of glosses over things a bit I wonder whether it might be something to do with the fact that whatever Lyra is dreaming, it's about her desires and her inner thoughts and stuff. And the alethiometer might not have kind of insight into that side of what it means, yeah. like psychology more than... I don't know, but it kind of does know some but, uh, intent. Oh, I don't know. I, I guess the, <laughs> the thing there is that you're thinking about what dreams are in the real world, where they are really just about your own memories and thoughts and mm -hmm. stuff. They're not about the future or whatever. Yeah. Um, but this is crazy fantasy world where dreams can have meaning greater than the dreamer. Um, it is interesting that it said it's a dream about a head, not Grumman's head, though. I'll put a pin in that. Mm, that is interesting, actually. I hadn't picked up on that. But the alethiometer does have a way of kind of sometimes saying things without... Without saying them overtly. Without expanding on them. So it just sort of gives you the bare minimum of info. I suppose the other possibility is that it may have said a little bit more, but Lyra's interpretation isn't complete because she's still reading it without mm. the interpretive texts and all the rest of it. And although she's clearly massively gifted at that, it doesn't mean that she gets the perfect meaning every time. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, she decides to make an omelette. And I, at this point, you know, your, your heart sinks. Dear God, not another three page description of an omelette. Thankfully, no. She just tries to cook an omelette, fucks it up, but eats it proudly anyway. I'm quite, move on. <laughs> I'm quite impressed with Lyra at this point, though, because she was so, like, down on, like, making her own food and stuff. But she's kind of watched what Will's done and she's made her own version. And yes, it's a bit rubbish. A bit. I believe it's described as charred black. And after she had finished picking the shells out of her <laughs> mouth, she sat, what is it, contently? Yes. Yeah, I don't think she's okay. done a good job. So, despite the fact that she makes a god-awful omelette, mm -hmm. she's still done something that she's never done before. And she's really proud of it. Good for her. Isn't it interesting, though, that arguably she showed more pride in being able to fuck an omelette up than she has in being able to cross into another dimension? Or, or, like, take on the entire magisterium or anything like that. That is true. Also, largely meaningless, but do we <laughs> but think? But still, um, <laughs> Will declines Lyra's offer of omelette and decides... Good for you, Will, I would as well. <laughs> decides to eat cereal instead. Lyra's never seen this before, so this is another new thing, because yeah. he goes in the fridge and gets milk out and, you know, has cereal. I mean, honestly, I'd have rather licked dirt in the back garden than eat Lyra's omelette. Um, Will asks Lyra how she came to this world so this is the point where we get a little bit more sort of a description of the crossing itself mm -hmm. yeah and as I mentioned last time fog is a big factor in interdimensional portal travel yes <laughs> she crosses the bridge and she's got lost in fog so basically her experience kind of is that nothing happens it's just very foggy and then you kind of wake up and you're somewhere else yeah, well, it's kind of, it was interesting that she said she just walked into the fog and wandered. 
possibly for days before she found her way into mm-hmm. this town that she's in now. And I wasn't sure if the fog began within the bridge and it was implied that she'd wandered around inside the bridge. Maybe there are multiple what? passages in there. Or whether she'd crossed straight over and it was just foggy on the other side. Yeah. Seraphine was talking last time about how it had been foggy. Yeah. Um, whether that's fog from the world where they are now that's just kind of come through or whether that's some part of travel messing up the um the weather the weather on both sides and like you say whether it's actually that she's when she was traveling through that fog whether that was part of the bridge or whether that's her just being lost in the fog that is already on yeah. the other side of the world because this portal is it is it like an event horizon thing where it brings two places together and you just pop through a, a membrane or is it like a tunnel where there's actually space between yeah. the two sides well if we look at the way that will came through that's completely different that's literally just a window yeah you, you just, just walk through. through it's like a door um so is it like that but the the fog is completely irrelevant it just yeah. happens to be foggy the fog is just part the of the world yeah yeah um i guess all evidence we have so far would have to point to the fog just being part of the world mm. and maybe there is no distance between either side of the bridge yeah i wonder whether portals are different depending on how they are made yeah because we're talking about with Azriel's portal it's been like ripped apart using energy and things yeah but we don't know at this point how all the other ones are made yeah so that might come into it yeah it might i mean they do speculate about that a little bit in this chapter and mm. uh, the best kind of idea that comes out of that speculation is that maybe Azriel's bridges destabilised the sort of boundary between worlds Mm. so portals are spontaneously appearing everywhere not certain that's the case we'll keep it spoiler free anyway but you know that's a speculation that Asriel's bridges just kind of blurred the boundaries between the two worlds yeah Yeah. Lyra also says she was certain that it wasn't her world which is exactly the same yeah as as will when he steps through the through the window it's also the same as seraphina when she says about feeling you know the light of another world yeah that seems to be a common feeling that people just know yeah and it keeps coming back yeah like people just innately know that once they see the other world they just know it's not their world even if it looks really similar Mm. we do get a little bit of lyra kind of talking about the fact that she's there because she's looking for dust, yeah. but she refuses to actually tell Will why she's looking for dust. Yeah. Um, which kind of makes sense at this point. She doesn't know him that well. She's going to have to have a whole conversation with him. This is going to be... I'm not sure she entirely knows either, to no. be honest. I mean, like, the all of the previous motivations came out of her initially just wanting to kind of stop the gobblers, right? That was a mm. big deal. And all of it seemed to have something to do with dust and original sin and all the rest of it. But when you come and sit down and think about how she's ended up in this other world, it's not really clear how much of it's actually to do with dust and how much of it is just random speculation about dust. And it's a complicated story to tell to someone that doesn't even know what a demon is. Yeah. Uh, You know, we've got dust and it might have something to do with demons, so some people cut the demons off. Uh, some people use demon severance to open bridges. Mm, yeah, it is. It's a messy one. Um, but Will does ask her what her plan is. And Lyra does have a plan, which is in some ways kind of surprising, I think, that she has actually somewhat thought it through. Um, that she wants to find a scholar, an experimental theologian. Yes. Um, because she's figured that Will's Oxford will also have them. Yeah. She's kind of put those two things together. So to be fair, it's only a plan she's made since she's met Will. Yeah. But, but she's kind of figured that out, that yeah. if he lives in Oxford too, some things are going to be similar. It's at that point they kind of realise that they have different words for the same things. Yeah, this is interesting because mm-hmm. it harks back to our season one, doesn't it? Um, yes. So Will wants to know what an experimental theologian mm-hmm. is and she's talking about the stuff they study, you know, like ambaric energy and so on and so forth and then they have to have a bit of a chat about what ambaric energy is so she's sort of talking about the lights and stuff that's what powers the lights and then will says oh you mean electricity 
electrical energy. So that's a science watch confirmed. Ambaric energy is what they call electrical energy. Yeah. There's also a really interesting little bit where they realise how the words connect together. So she says, oh, electric, that's like electrum. Electrum is a stone that's formed out of the sap of a tree, which to us is amber, yeah. which is similar to ambaric. Yeah, and so, so they've kind of somehow just reversed the words between the dimensions. Amber's become electric, electric's become amber. Yeah, but what was really interesting about that that moment, I thought, was Will's kind of, well, and Lyra's reactions to this, which is quote time. Mm-hmm. And each of them saw their own expressions on the other's face. Will remembered that moment for a long time afterwards. So they have this real moment of like... This moment between them. Yeah, of like, kind of wonder, I guess. Yeah. Of realising how this world works and kind of both difference and similarity at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of the next few chapters, really, is like that idea of similar but different Mm -hmm. between Will's world and Lyra's. Yeah. And it comes back a lot. something that I took away from that whole section was that she mentioned when she was talking about Electrum or Amber Mm -hmm. that it often has insects trapped in it and of course I thought of Jurassic Park of course of course (laughs) (laughs) there's a quote for the real diehard Jurassic Park fans (laughs) so Will basically realises after hearing Lyra talk that by an experimental theologian, what she actually means is scientists. Yeah, specifically physicists. Yes. That's another science watch confirmed, something we speculated on last season. Mm -hmm. But now they've got that cleared up, they hear a child. They do. A child's voice Mm -hmm. drifting towards them along the coast. And then they see a boy and a girl coming out of a side street. Sans demon. Like Will, they have no demons. Yeah, which is interesting. You know, I wonder if they compared all the universes, like how many have got demons and how many do not? Because it could yeah. be that Lyra's are the only ones that have demons. Well, that's what that I was, are, yeah, thinking is, is is Lyra's universe an anomaly where their inner demon is an outer demon? Yeah. Or are there others or places where it's something totally different? Like, I don't know, a planet in orbit around Earth. No, that'd be quite busy, wouldn't it? Six billion people. What, you mean each person would have a planet orbiting around them? Yeah, well, I mean, not them per se, but like around Earth, there'd be a, a planet and that's, that's your inner demon. Because it's a bit like astrology. Oh, I see what you were trying to do there, but you said it in such a confusing way. Would, I mean, to be fair, I've just made that bit up as I was talking okay. and realising how stupid <laughs> the whole planet idea was. I just desperately needed something to link it to in the real world. Initially, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you had like a planet, your own planet? I was imagining like a really tiny planet. So yeah. it's just like gravitating around your head. Like head. the little billiard ball planets from Third Rock from the Sun. Yes, like those. Or something. That'd be cute. I'd it like would. that. I'd like a little planet orbit. But what if you head. had on your little planet orbiting your head, if that had life on it? Horton Hears a Who. Horton Hears a Who, the Dr. Seuss story about like there's a dandelion mm-hmm. seed or fluff or whatever. And upon it is like an entire civilization of Who's. And like a little elephant finds it called Horton. And because elephants have really big ears, he can kind of hear the hustle and bustle down there. And that's why it's called Horton Hears a Who. Yeah. And then it turns out that um, there's a, I can't remember the story fully, but there's some great disaster that's going to befall them. And only Horton knows they even exist. And he's got to try and save their entire civilization. But obviously people think he's bonkers because how can that little bit of fluff hold an entire race? He's also an elephant. Yeah, a talking one. one. I'd be inclined to believe a talking elephant. You don't see many of them. You'd think that if, if you did find an, a pachyderm that had been gifted with the, the ability to speak, mm-hmm. it would it would use that ability <laughs> wisely, right? Yeah. So what happens in the end? I'm intrigued to know. Oh, I think he does save them in the end, okay. but I can't exactly remember. And that's good because it keeps it spoiler-free for Dr. Seuss as well as Philip Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a really nice story and there's like a really nice old animated film of it as well. So if you're listening with your kids or if you're just a big kid like me, then go watch Horton Hears a Who. Ah. Mm, nice. In any case, 
the children approach and they're going to talk to Will and Lyra, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the bit where I'll need to explain the title, but not immediately. Okay. Um, so Will asks what happens to the adults because they kind of realise that these children must be from the place. They seem to know the place um, that they are in. Um, the girl is immediately suspicious because she's like, well, how do you not know? Because like everybody knows and she asks if the spectres have come to their cities and they're sort of like spectres what on earth's james bond got to do with this <laughs> so that's our first mention of um spectres they also um give them the name of the city which i'm not going to say because you're, you've got a better italian accent than i have i do i always thought it was sitagaze very I, I poorly, did. poorly pronounced because I'm terrible at accents. But in the audiobook, it turns out it is Cittagazzi, yeah. which means that it's Italy, Italian, right? So everyone calls it Cittagazzi. I've called it Cittagazzi until I heard the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I looked at him and was like, oh, yeah, of course. So Cittagazzi would be how you would pronounce Cittagazzi if you mm. were Italian, and that means that they are surely in Italy, where these children come from. Mm. And that's kind of the root of the name of the episode. Because, of course, they're in the middle of Little Italy, where they riddled a couple of middlemen, because they're going to lie to these children about who they are <laughs> and where they're from, so they're riddling the middlemen, who didn't do diddly, because the kids aren't that relevant to the plot, yeah. let's be honest. You know what my favourite kind of jokes are? What? The ones that you have to explain. It wasn't a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> it was... You know, I, anyway, so, yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> it, was, it was a wonderful... It was a wonderful entrance to the to I the just episode. enjoyed saying it. The main reason I called yeah, it that was fine. because it was a lot of fun to say. Yeah, I yeah. can... I get that. And it's a silly name for a podcast episode. That's fine. That's the joke, not all the stuff I had to explain. <laughs> you're the one that asked me to explain. Oh, you've been very sensitive today. I am. It's the lockdown. It, you know, I'm normally like, I wouldn't say I was an extrovert. I'm a, what's an introvert and an extrovert mixed? A mixtrovert. Who knows? It's got a name. Yeah, you've someone's probably got a word for it. You've told me the word for it. Because you're all obsessed with introversion and extroversion. Yeah, I am a little bit. Um, yeah. I can't remember what it is. Well, anyway, I'm a mixtrovert, which I think is a good name for it. But, like, yesterday I found myself afraid to go into a shop and ask for something for the first time since I was probably a kid. So it's changing me. The COVID lockdown is changing me. And it had nothing to do with being afraid of the virus. I just found the thought of going in intimidating. What, and talking to people, was it? Yeah, and just done? going up to the counter and asking for what I wanted. And I was like, I can't do it. And I got outside the shop and I just paralysed. I couldn't go in, so I just came home. Welcome and to my world. to me. I know. I feel a great deal. Like, is that what it's like for you all the time? Is that why you asked me to phone the electricity company? Is that why I ask you to do pretty much everything that involves interacting with people? It's horrid. Yes. And I don't know where it came from, but I'm quite happy for it to fuck off again. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to become really extroverted. Maybe. Maybe you'll swap. have to do stuff for me and I'll be like, no, please, please phone the electric company for me. <laughs> and stuff like that. But anyway, what about those spectres? Yes, what about them indeed? Um, so Lyra asks why the adults had to leave. And then the girl says it's to do with the spectres. Hmm. And kind of doesn't answer it. We can assume because she is so kind of convinced that everybody knows what spectres are. Yeah. I guess spectres are just normal to their world. Like demons are normal to Lyra's, maybe, at this point. Yeah. Um, And they say that their parents won't return to the city as it was full of spectres after a storm. Mm. Was that storm Asriel opening the bridge? Well, that's Mm. the thing. The timing would seem to imply that... That is linked to that. But the spectres do seem like something that this world is used to because the girl says they like it when the parents have to leave, implying that they've kind of had to leave before. Yes. And it seems like they're something they're well accustomed to because obviously there were plates of food out. This place was Mary Celeste when Will arrived. You know, there were signs that people just immediately left. So it's something they're kind of like they're doing often they're very good at getting out quick yes yeah so they do explain and their names are angelica and paolo Mm. uh that you can only see spectres when you're an adult 
So that's kind of immediate alarm bells ringing, things mm-hmm. that can only happen when you're adults, things that are happening in, you know, have previously happened in the stories. Mm. In Lyra's world with yeah. the demons, demons and all of that and dust, mm. etc. There is a connection between adulthood and potentially yeah. bad things. And although Angelica and Paolo seem very chill about the whole situation, when they actually kind of discuss what the spectres will do, we will find out that it's actually a horror show and that they are sociopaths because they are not concerned by what goes on. So they eat the life out of adults, but kind of more than that... It happens over time. It's not like one bite and you're done. Yeah, so at first the adults are aware and they kind of, they'll cry out and be clearly panicked. Then they start looking away and pretending like it's not happening kind of once they've got them. No one will go near them. So, you know, forget being saved once you've been got by a spectre, that's it. They become pale and stop moving. And finally, once they're kind of done, they're still alive, but are basically eaten out from the inside. Yeah, just eating their life force away. Sort of zombified Yeah, from the sounds of it. Which is interesting because we have talked about zombies previously in Lyra's world. And how that's a bit like what happens to some of the people that are severed from their demons. Yes. Uh, Putting two and two together. So, interestingly, whenever they're talking about actually anything, I was going to say spectres, but pretty much so far all you're ever going to hear from Paolo, the little boy, is that he wants to fight the spectres and he wants (laughs) to kill them. Those are basically his only lines of dialogue. Yeah. Uh, He's fun. Classic little kid, though, isn't it? Yeah, be a good pairing with Will to kill anyone that gets in my way, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. he? Yeah. I keep wanting to call her Francisco for some reason. I have no idea why. Angelica. Um. <laughs> Just, why not, from now on, if Sarah calls her friend Francisco? Francisca. Francisca, okay, then she means Angelica. <laughs> um, Angelica um, just suddenly changes the subject and talks about getting ice cream. Yeah, we're going to find ice creams. Like, okay, I guess. Do you, do you want to come? Um, Lyra and Will decline to go with them, probably yeah. quite sensibly. And at this point, Pan reappears because he's been hiding the entire yeah. time. And this is where something I hadn't noticed before, but Pan is going to talk to Lyra and it's going to be the first time Will has heard Pan speak. Yes, I thought this when I read it. I kind of hadn't realised that although Will has seen Pan, he hasn't actually heard him speak. Yeah. Um, which he does. And he's kind of like, oh, it can speak? Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, he's, he, what did you think? He was just like my pet. <laughs> which is, I mean, kind of, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you would immediately, wouldn't you? But it's also unusual because we know that demons don't usually speak in front of other people. Mm-hmm. That was a demon watch from episodes past, wasn't it? Yes. That they tend to be quite private and certainly only speaking to their person and rarely speaking in front of other people like it's quite Mm. an oddity for a demon to speak to somebody else's yeah so that is i don't know i'd I'd say that maybe indicates that he's at least comfortable or him or lyra are comfortable with having will around yeah and about hearing them speak maybe it's just that they're pressed into such unusual circumstances that those formalities don't matter to them as much yeah that's that's possible um, Will also does realise that, that Pan is really talking to Lyra and not just kind of out loud like they're having a conversation between the two. And I think once he kind of figures that out, it kind of feels a bit less weird to him. Yeah. He talks to Pan as well. And he gets used to it really fast because he realises that when he's talking to Pan, he's actually just talking to Lyra. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of examines their similarities and differences. He can see where they're similar and that they've got a similar kind of look to them in their eye um, and also where they differ. So yeah. that's interesting, getting that outside perspective of he someone who kind of sees the overlap. Yes. Like Pan and Lyra be a Venn diagram with a big overlap. Yes, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so they've, they've kind of decided that they're going to go through the, the door back into Will's world. Yes. Because Lyra needs to go and see the scholars. Yeah, the physicists. Or yes. experimental theologians. Yeah. Will is so much more sensible than Lyra. 
he just seems to kind of think things through a lot more carefully. So he's decided that they need to go and find clothes for her to help her fit in. So she walks in as she is. She's basically in rags and she's covered in dirt. Yeah. She's going to attract attention. Yeah, she looks like a Victorian street urchin, yeah. <laughs> which unless you're appearing at the West End, no one's really going to buy that in modern England, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, well, they might do these days, but they wouldn't have when the book was written. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, he wants to find clothes for her to blend in. He's got this whole idea that he wants to protect this world they're in now, Chittagatse, mm -hmm. as kind of a hiding place for himself so that he can retreat yep. there through his portal if he's being chased by the, the men that were looting his house at the beginning of the book and things. So he's very keen to not do anything that would give Lyra away in case that in turn gives away the portal and ruins his hiding place. Yeah, so it's more about... Um it's kind himself. of self-protection. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, at this point in time... Self-preservation. Yeah, he is kind of looking out for in some ways, but also it does all lead back to him and his mum and mm. them being safe. What is interesting, I think, is that he still hasn't kind of thought that, hang on, there's these weird men chasing me. We don't know why they're there, what's going on. It's very odd, etc. And, oh, look, I've just found a portal to another world. Yeah, there's a Maybe very... Maybe <laughs> these things are connected. Because that would be my... I think that would be my first thought, that yeah. possibly these two very odd things are... Connected. connected. I mean, it's quite odd anyway, Will's ability to just accept the fact that he's now in another world. For Lyra, she's built up to it for quite some time. The entirety of the first book, she knew there was some weird conspiracy going on and she gradually figured out that... Asriel mm. wanted to bridge to another world and then it happened. And so, so she's kind of had some time to sit with the more fantastical elements of reality. Whereas to Will, I mean, he just lived in a city like all of us live in and then yeah. one day stepped through a portal into another dimension. He doesn't seem that shook. But that other dimension is kind of quite similar. It's, it's quite modern. Probably Pan's the strangest thing that they've witnessed so far. Well, yeah, and the they've now heard about the spectres, and, yeah. but but other than that, it's quite similar. So yes, he knows it's different, but because I mean, I I was wondering about whether he really thinks he is in another world, and mm. not just me. The book speculates on that. I was also wondering about whether he thinks could it have occurred to him that he might just be delusional, that he might have snapped like his mum. The thing is, I kind of get the impression that whatever's going on in his head regarding that, he's willing to accept it as another world because he resolves that they shouldn't tell those other kids that they mm -hmm. come from somewhere else. They should just pretend they come from a different part of this this bridge world that they're now yeah. in. Um, again, to kind of protect the fact that travel between them is possible. And he kind of insists that Lyra does the same. And basically says that if she gives the game away, he'll kill her. And, yeah. and all my notes say at this point in really big purple letters is, Will is a fucking psycho. How <laughs> didn't I notice before? And by that I mean the first time I read the book. Why did it not occur to me that Will's fucking nuts? Will's constantly talking about killing people that get in his way. Yes, he is. But he's also doing things that are quite kind and caring. He's got a real sort of dual personality happening he's incredibly protective but it's protective to a point where it makes him occasionally violent um he will do anything that he needs to to protect those he loves he'll, he'll do what he needs to to protect the things he cares about yes hmm. reminds me of buffalo bill you know, he's got the little doggy and loves yeah. his little dog and he'll do anything for it but also he wants to cut your face off and wear it <laughs> also that I mean not just the face could be the legs could be the boob yeah could be the could left be. boob in particular if you've got a particularly good left boob then yes yeah yes it could be that one um don't know but no it just it occurs to me that Will is remarkably frightening he reminds me of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho in child form because you've got all the stuff in that about where he like well, he really cares about his business cards and his physique and keeping his apartment clean and then he just like axes people in the back of the head because they can get reservations at a better restaurant than him. Yeah, and but the, the, the key difference there is that Patrick Bateman's things that he wants to protect or things that he cares about are superficial whereas Will's kind of only revolve around taking care of his mum. 
he's not even doing it for himself but his mum is a yeah okay I take your point I was going to say his mum is like the provider she's the one that would be bringing the money in and looking after him but actually it's the other way with him isn't it but I will say that like every serial killer starts somewhere I'll just leave that out there okay Uh and I mean if we ever got like a parallel book to the book of dust where it shows lots of what Will's been doing after all of this I suspect it would just involve the murder of maybe 10 to 12 prostitutes and then an extremely lengthy prison sentence okay yes that'd be a less interesting book unless you're into that kind of thing (laughs) Um, so yeah so Lyra knows that Will means it when he says that he'll kill her as well because of her lithiometer reading. So yeah. she takes it real serious. The, the lithiometer said that he was a murderer, and he is. Yeah. Although whether he would do it now, because I suppose the other thing is you're forgetting that he killed that other guy accidentally. He didn't in any way mean to kill him. That is true. And although he has said since then, oh, I'll kill you or I would kill them... It's like, would he really? But why would they he just... actually be? If he was actually faced with it, could he do it if he knew he had to do it? Okay, let, let, let's flip that to the other way. You're a child, uh-huh. 12 uh-huh. or 14, depending yeah. on how old you think Will's men are be. Recent interpretations have made him a bit older. So you're a child, you're 12, you've just killed someone mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, and fair enough, it might have been accidental. Would you be afraid and remorseful or immediately resolve to kill anyone that gets in your way. <laughs> yeah, but Will is a very different person to me. Yes, Will is a very different person to most. Will probably represents the fraction of the 1% of the population <laughs> that are A, sociopathic, and B, dangerous to others. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't feel like this is a fair like thing to put me in the mind of, because Will and I have had very different upbringings. Yeah. So. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suspect you didn't throw anyone down the stairs when you were 12, for starters. But but what I'm saying is, like, I, I reckon that most children, even if they'd had quite a bad upbringing, would be quite traumatised and upset by the fact that they killed someone. Within hours of doing it, Will's wandering around in other worlds telling strangers that he'll kill anyone that gets in his way. He's just, he's got a taste for it. That's all I'm no, saying. No, no. Oh, well, we could argue about this for days, but let's let's move on. Okay. Um, uh, listeners, email us, hop into the discussion group. Yes. Help, help resolve this argument. Before we come to is blows. Is Will a normal boy? <laughs> or is Will a normal boy that's developing into a murderer? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Will also tells Lyra to, to go for a wash. So they've, they've picked out some clothes for her. And she, he's just like, go and clean yourself up, love. <laughs> yeah, he's really controlling. Like, I'll kill you if you get in my way now. Go and clean yourself up, love. <laughs> uh, Lyra is apparently initially unsure what to do because the servants do it for her. I can't imagine being that incapable that you, you haven't paid attention. Do, do people literally have to, like, run the water and sponge her down? She doesn't actually understand how washing works at all. I mean, like, that's what it crazy. sounds like. like. This is this is a rare glimpse into the lives of the upper classes. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes me annoyed with Lyra a bit, to be honest. All the stuff about her being like, oh, but the servants do it. Because I'm like... Can you imagine her just, like, Will says, right, go and clean yourself up because you can't go to my world looking like that. And she just walks upstairs and shouts, washing wench, washing wench. <laughs> well, I tried. That's it. I'll just have to stay dirty. Yeah, it just, it, it boggles the mind, it does. Does it not? It is the massive gulf between Lyra's background and Will's as mm-hmm. well, isn't it? Yeah. I do like the fact that Pan glares at Will as she walks off in rap form, giving her a little... Yeah, Pan's like, fuck you and all. I know what you are. I've listened to Demon Cast, I'm wary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, at this point, we do get a little bit of what Will's thinking about. Uh And it is. Well, he's conflicted because he's kind of curious about the world that they're in and wanting to explore. He's also anxious because of everything he's heard and slightly worrying things that are going on. And he's also numb from having killed the men. Numb. Numb, yes, which means he hasn't processed his thoughts yet. Because what do we know about being numb? It doesn't mean you don't feel anything. It means you're just not able to feel anything right now. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yes. Yeah. So, 
You back me into a corner there. <laughs> I still think that what Will's doing is it's like the Ted Bundy thing. Part of him wants to take Lyra to another world and dress her up in nice clothes and part of him wonders what her head would look like on a spike. I feel like that was not specifically a Ted Bundy thing, but... That was an actual thing he said. When he oh, sees it? a beautiful woman, part of him wants to take her out for dinner and etc. And part of him wonders what her head would look like on a spike. Well, I didn't know that. That's yeah. fascinating character. Grim. Yeah. <laughs> 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 believe it was Bundy anyway. Someone yeah. who's more into serial I thought killers. I was the true crime person, but clearly not. Well, you, you're interested in it from the perspective of crime. Whereas I just worship serial killers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why you know so much about Will. Um, <laughs> so you agree, he's a serial killer. Anyway, they're, they're off to find the wizard, or at least the portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get a description of what Chittagazzi is like. Yeah, so while Will is sort of contemplating everything during Lyra's... Wash. We can only assume that she takes hours because it's so complicated to do. He thinks that he, he won't look at the, the green leather writing case until he's helped Lyra out, mm -hmm. which is very kind of him because obviously that was his number one goal and kind of... But what is he... I mean, I was going to say, what's he going to do with the writing case while he's in Cetagazzi? Um, <laughs> but, but then on the other hand, he kind of must really want to know what's in there. Mm. But he's not looked at it yet, and he's had all that time overnighting it to Oxford and all the time alone in this weird city. Do you think he's maybe a bit scared of what he'll find in there? Yeah, probably. A bit reluctant to look because he might not want to see. Yeah, I would I would concur with that. Um, yeah, I also got it wrong. She doesn't go to find her clothes before she goes after, after she has a wash. wash. Yeah. There's an interesting bit just where she refuses to, to wear jeans because she doesn't think women wear trousers. Yeah, but um, I'm a girl. Just, just to remind us that the, the sexism was real in Lyra's in world. world. Yeah. yeah. Um, Will insists on paying again. Lyra is confused by this, clearly doesn't have an issue with taking things because that's kind of the background again that she's come from where everything's done for her people pay for things for her she doesn't have to sort of think about those things or think about the people that need the money as such she just doesn't have that level of well that's the other thing i guess will probably knows what it's like to be someone that needs the money and doesn't yeah. want to kind of do that to someone else as well whereas lyra is a bit more i don't give a fuck like she's got a much more cavalier attitude to everything that isn't Lyra and although that has improved since the beginning of the first book she is still a little bit self-centric let's say I love how we just kind of like dance around saying like selfish Lyra's or something. a bitch <laughs> <laughs> it's because she's our heroine right and I really like Lyra so I don't want to slate her too much I'll save my vitriol for Will the yeah for some killer. reason you hate him I don't, I don't really know, know why. why no I don't hate him at all it's just it it really blindsided me the whole stuff about how like often he threatens to kill people because I just don't remember that from the first time I read it yeah um yeah, Lyra even teases Will about behaving like a grown-up because he's kind of had to. Yeah, that's it. He's had um, to mature fast. And it sort of shows Lyra's, the privilege of Lyra's upbringing in that sense. She has, she's been able to be a child because, I mean, apart from the last, I don't know. Yeah, the last so, maybe six months to a year, yeah, not so child. that's been quite intense. But before that, she was able to have a very joyful, relaxed childhood where basically for the since he was, what was it, seven, Will's been... Taking care of his mum. Yeah, his mum and hiding yeah. her illness. Very different backgrounds. Mm. Um, and the, I like this part as well. As they're looking for clothes and gathering them up, mm. they're moving through the city. Um, you get a bit more of a description of it being kind of dilapidated and mm -hmm. showing that maybe adults don't spend enough time in it to keep it in a good state of repair. Yeah. Um, it does seem like people have been there very recently because obviously they were finding plates of food even when Will first yeah. arrived, that looked like they'd just been prepared and left, but they hadn't, like, rotten yet or anything. So yeah. people may have only been gone for a couple of few days at this point. Yeah. So to me, the fact that the city's in a certain state of disrepair indicates that maybe the adults have to leave and come back so often that they just don't have enough time in the city to repair some of the big stuff. Mm. I thought it might be an indicator of it being formally quite thriving and wealthy 
and it having dropped off over time and why might that be? It might be something to do with the spectres. It would kill tourism. Yeah, <laughs> it sure would. Um, that maybe since they've arrived, things have started to fall apart and things like that. So yeah. that was just a thought on that. They also notice that they're both drawn to an ancient and intriguing tower. Yeah. But they decide they will go back and look another time. Hmm. But... A pin in it. Yeah. They they might regret not going there now. Who knows? Mm. If only we could shout through the pages and tell them. Yeah. Uh, so instead they just decide it's time to go find Will's portal. Yes. And he's kind of remembers where it is, but it still takes them a little bit to actually find it once they get to its location. Because, as we remember, it's only basically only visible from one side. Mm. It's kind yeah. of like a perfect two-dimensional thing in a three-dimensional world. Yeah. I'd look really bizarre it would wouldn't it not so much if you've played old video games where they used <laughs> to render things as 2d sprites like anyone who's played old old 3d games will know what happens when you put a 2d thing in a 3d world <laughs> strange um, things yeah well it just what they described like from the side you can barely see it it's just maybe an edge if you're lucky from the back invisible from the front just looks like the thing should look <laughs> you know you get really odd distorted perspectives when you're looking at it sort of diagonally from the from the visible side as well but it's made harder to find by the fact that basically it's sort of in grass in Chittagatsi <laughs> and it's also in grass in Will's Oxford so when they look Oxford Oxford Will's Pogsford <laughs> it's also on grass in Will's Oxford <laughs> so when they look through it's sort of even got the similar lighting conditions, so it just kind of looks like it's camouflaged in anyway. Yeah. What's weird is are there no time zone differences between the worlds? Like, if it's the same light in the same time of day in Oxford as it is in Chittagatse, which is, you know, in the Mediterranean, surely there should be a time difference of a, probably a couple of hours, an hour to two but, hours. I mean, there might be, but they just never talk about it, I guess, because they don't really know what time it is in the city <laughs> yeah i don't know that's probably just me trying to leave her in a science watch where one doesn't belong which is why i didn't prepend it okay. with a science watch warning yeah but they can hear traffic when they get nearer the portal from mm -hmm. will's side and lyra doesn't recognize it no she doesn't um in fact she doesn't really think the world looks like oxford at all and she asks him if he's sure <laughs> whether it's oxford because i imagine it probably is completely with roads and stuff it'd be yeah roads motor vehicles things mm. like that you know no zeppelins the yeah. number one form of transport in lyra's world it seems yes um um will kind of ushers lyra through the window directs yeah. her where to go and i couldn't work out from this the way he describes to her where to go is he meant to be going with her? No, I think what he's doing is he's actually telling her how to find her way back to the portal on her yeah. own because he sort of tells her where it is from his world's side of the portal. That's, this is before they've actually kind of crossed and they're well, just peering through. That's what I kind of thought, but then I was like, so are they not playing on going together or is it just in case she gets lost? Well, yeah, basically he's going to go do his thing while she does hers because... After events that happen in just a page or two, <laughs> um, then he resolves to stay with her because it's not wise to let her roam on her own. So I think at this point he's fully like, I'll go do what I need to do. She'll do what she needs to do. And she needs to find her way back to the portal so that we can, mm. you know, meet up in Chittagatse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I even from the start, I don't think I'd like, considering what we've seen Lyra do and how she behaves on her own, I don't think I would let her out on her own. Yeah, but Will hasn't seen much of that, has he? Well, he's seen the bad omelette. Yeah, but then she's also survived in that city on her own for a few days and stuff. He's got no reason to believe that she isn't as resourceful as him. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she's even mentioned that the way she was able to get to the portal on her side involved her being supported by an army of witches, travellers, bears, bears armoured bears, no less, a cowboy. Um, you know, if he knew the amount of people she had in her entourage to get her to the portal, then he might think that she needs some help. But he probably thinks that, you know, she's like him because she's managed to cross over. Mm, yeah. Well, he's wrong because yeah. in about 
two seconds after stepping into our world <laughs> she gets run over yeah just <laughs> lyra come on causing a major traffic incident in the middle of oxford which would never happen because most of the middle of oxford is just bicycles yeah. <laughs> they're a little bit out aren't they aren't they in the suburbs yeah, I'm just being a twat. Oh, you were trying to be a foot. Sorry, I've ruined your joke. Yeah, no, it's all right. Um, <laughs> that's that's what that I've done today. Anyway, <laughs> wasn't that funny anyway? Um, what I did quite enjoy was the the conversation between the van driver and the woman, which was kind of like pointless but very accurate. Yeah, because what happens is the woman that's run her over tries to stop first, meaning that a van hits the woman. And actually, Lyra's not badly hurt, but the big problem is the amount of people that have now suddenly become attracted to her presence right mm-hmm. next to the portal. Yes. Yeah, um, Will's like, well, fine, I'm going to have to go and sort this one out. So he runs over, he kind of tells the adults that Lyra is his sister, kind of sorts her out and gets her up to go. And when the woman asks for the details for the insurance, yeah, to be exciting stuff, yeah. um, he makes up the fake names yeah, and fake a fake addresses. address and everything. Um, Lyra seems okay, considering she's just been hit by a car. Mm-hmm. She's mostly worried about the alethiometer. Yeah, and she pops it out in front of Will, bold. I think she trusts Will quite a lot, considering that all she definitely knows about him is that he's a killer. Yes. Uh, But it turns out that it's fine. Yeah, so she does explain briefly to Will what it is, but not in any sort of... Detail. No. Yeah. Um, Will actually does state at this point that he is angry, but he keeps a lid on it. He does not let that anger out and I thought that's interesting because especially for younger people it can be quite hard when they feel angry to control that anger yeah and not to let it just explode I wonder if Will is used to bottling his anger up a bit because there must be times when he's been angry with his mum he's had to kind of look after her for that long and he must realise there's a certain amount of unfairness in that maybe yeah as well yeah i imagine so it's weird one with anger because being too angry and letting it out too easily is bad Mm -hmm. but then if you can't let out anger i am i am one such person you cannot express anger that's also really bad yeah anger's toxic kind of you need to there's some middle ground where you can let out like angry feelings in in a healthy Good way. I've tried to coach you on like punching cushions and things when you're really feeling in a rage and you just can't do it, can you? You can't. I mean, even though that's not necessarily the most productive way to express anger, it's better than bottling it up when you're Mm. that angry. Yeah, Um, it's very strange. Yeah. Whereas I am quick to anger and punch holes in everything. (laughs) I actually don't. Don't. I was going to say that makes you sound like a right. Makes me sound like a proper will. Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't. Um, so yeah so he's able to keep it together he decides that they should stick together for the time being good plan well he realizes it's going to be a good disguise for him because the people looking for him aren't looking for a sister and he can be a guide for her so they're mutually beneficial exactly it's a good way to keep the portal hidden yeah uh and he, he kind of wants her to keep on with the fake names that they just give to those people, which is quite sensible because you don't want too many fake identities because yeah. you get them confused. But Lyra's like, no, I've already got a fake identity. <laughs> and that. she readopts the Lizzie Brooks Lizzie persona Brooks. from uh, Bolvanger that yeah. she used to trick the people To there. be fair, I suppose Lisa and Lizzie aren't that far apart, so no. we can forgive her that for saying, you yeah. know. And she does have a good reason for it, which is I've used it before, I can remember it. Yeah. And one thing you want to be able to remember is your own fake name. Absolutely. Yeah. Words to live by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Will does something quite nice next as well because he realises that Lyra only has gold coins, real gold coins. Yeah. And so he's like, it's fine, we'll sort you out with some money. Yeah. And we know that Will's not like super rich or anything. No. But But he also does have a new friend who's got a pocket full of gold and he probably knows better than her how to shift gold in our world. I mean, find a pawnbroker, you know. That's... Yeah, that's true. But he uses his mum's bank card anyway. Um, 
<laughs> what? The generosity of committing fraud. Yeah, but I feel like he, I feel like his mum would be okay with it because she, he basically does look after her all the time. It, well, hell, I mean, even if she wasn't going to be okay with it, he could just say that the enemies took the money. Yeah, he could. <laughs> uh, Lyra is amazed by the bank machine because it produces it just bit money. makes money. money yeah you put a card in and out comes pences mm-hmm. and um she kind of gives over control to will at this point yeah and as they get on the bus and they travel to oxford it says she sat very quiet watching the houses and gardens of the city that was hers and not hers yeah so this is very unusual for Lyra here. She's very passive. I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on um, in terms of what she can see. But, yeah, it's unusual for her, I think, to be that. Yeah, she's normally a lot more tenacious and a lot more forceful with what she wants. But I do think that we've kind of seen this before where she realises the enormity of something and she realises she needs help. That happened more and more near the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. Um and it's kind of happening again. It's not necessarily that she's giving up control. It's just that maybe she's recognising that what she needs is someone that knows what the hell's going on, and that's Will. Mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's the kind of Will is, Will is the Yorick in this scenario because he knows, he knows this world the same as Yorick kind of knew the North and things like that. He too will eat people's hearts. Yes, given the chance. Well. Yeah. Um, they arrive in Oxford, and Lyra's pointing out the differences yeah. between them much to sort of Will's annoyance is just like can you can you just lower yeah it's know. like that's not there normally in my world and he's very worried that someone's going to hear this kid and she's going to give the game away one thing that is interesting is there are some similarities in fact one similarity is overtly pointed out in the book which is the church there's mm-hmm. a church in Will's world that's identical in position and appearance to the one in her world yeah now, is that a bit of Pullmanism, a bit of Pullman throwing in a metaphor here for the fact that the church is bad all over and all through? Yeah, I'd assume that would be kind of the, the thread he's going for. Yeah. There, that that's the, a key similarity between the two worlds is, is religion and the church. Yeah. Um, but there's no Jordan College, and this really shakes Lyra up. I mean, that's her home. Her home doesn't exist yeah. in this world. And... What she says is, she wasn't Lyra of Jordan anymore. She was a lost little girl in a strange world belonging nowhere. Yeah. So even when she was on her kind of journeys to the north and all of that kind of stuff, she still had that core identity because it was in her world. She belonged yeah. to Jordan College in that existed in that world, but she doesn't know anything about this world no. that she's in. Um, and as well, I think the adventures she went on in her world were just that to her because she'd heard about armoured bears and now she was going to see them and Mm. she'd heard about the north and always wanted to go there with Azriel and so the path she was on was actually one she'd been imagining for a long time maybe not in quite the way she'd imagined it Mm. but she was essentially exploring her childhood fantasies to some extent in her world but now all of that's irrelevant because she's in somewhere extremely different Mm mm-hmm um, and even Will says that he wasn't prepared for Lyra's wide-eyed helplessness. Yeah. And wide-eyed helplessness is not really something we associate with Lyra, but yeah, no. given the circumstances, I think it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, she is all out of her depth. Mm-hmm. For now, at least. She won't yeah. be forever. Yeah. And we kind of end the chapter with her, with her sort of realising that it's going to take longer than she thought it would to get used to. Yeah. And that closes that chapter. Yeah. I think it's interesting that so a lot of people would say I think that Golden Compass slash Northern Lights is Lyra's book and this one is Will's book. Mm. Um, and it's almost like you're seeing the handing over of the reins. Lyra is handing over to Will a bit. You kind of see where that idea comes from, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's anywhere near as... I mean, I'd say Northern Lights is very much Lyra's book. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but I don't think the sort of knife is Will's book in quite the same way. No. Um, there's just too many other characters in it as well to make it one person's book. I just, I enjoyed this chapter. I felt like I was getting that excitement of, like, they're going to look for the scholars. 
you know, Will was looking to find out more about his family history or past with his dad and everything. Um, we're kind of getting more a build of a relationship between Lyra and Will and what's going on there. And we're yeah. seeing their dynamic emerge. Yeah. Um, trust is being established, particularly from Lyra's point of view very quickly with Will she's let him see the alethiometer Pan has spoken to him and in front of him mm-hmm. um, I feel like Will's more guarded mm. so we're sort of seeing almost Will's character develop in Lyra's eyes at the same rate as it does for us as the reader you know Will's not telling her much and we've only just met him so mm. as his character develops we get to know him as Lyra does she's kind of an audience insert almost in this book yeah in that sense anyway within that relationship Mm. totally forgotten what the other point i was going to make was and i thought it was a really good point as well so that's lost for the ages (laughs) (laughs) um can only assume it was the most insightful and interesting point yeah it was oh i remembered it so we'll see um i think as an opening kind of three chapters that we've covered so far, although I think the first chapter felt slow and the second one a little slow, I'll say, taking the three together, it's quite a nice reintroduction to the world and reorientation towards where the story is going and yeah. things like that. You get a sense of the build-up of it. It almost transitions the audience from the normality of Will's and their world mm. back into the world of his dark materials. Yeah, and, it, and I think that works quite well, even though taken individually, particularly the first chapter feels a little mundane compared to the rest of the books. I was going to say because it does feel quite different at first. I think it does take a little while to kind of get back into things. Even the yeah. second one, where second chapter where you're with the witches, it still feels I don't know. There's something about them that don't feel very northern lightsy. Oh, I think a big part of it is because Lyra's not really played. Yeah, that's probably not really there. But the, that second chapter is almost like a vertical slice of Lyra's world as well to remind you what's going on there because Serafina kind of quickly jumps between different characters and places that had significance to the plot like the Witch's Consul and Lee Scoresby and the Magisterium and their boats and mm. all the rest of it. So it is, it's kind of like the brief recap Whereas I think this is the first chapter where it feels like this is just the beginning of the new story. It's just purely about setting the path for the rest of the book and not reminding us of the previous one. Yeah. Mm. And I like it. Yes. I'm, like, feeling good and ready now, prepared to go forward. And explore Oxford. (laughs) And other places too. Um... I actually didn't bother writing down any spoilers for this one because I think that the ones that I've Mm. got for the most part are probably, I'd almost say, too big Mm. um, and too far in the future of the books in some cases as well. But did you have any? No, I don't think I have any either. I think anything that I did have was almost in the opposite way, was too small to be like, oh, look, that's a thing of that thing. It's just not very interesting, basically. I mean, that might be a relief for some of you, no spoiler bit this week. Um, but yeah. Good. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I have as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well mm. done, us. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Jolly good. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our new members in the discussion group mm. and our supporters and everybody listening. And please, if you haven't already, feel free to pop us a like on Facebook, join the discussion group, shout at us via email. As always, the links are available in the show notes. Sarah would very much like you to leave us a review, particularly if you enjoy the show on -hmm. your podcast platform of choice. And I guess all that remains to be said is thank you for listening. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.